On today's show, is the Evan Mobley leap happening and other Cavs questions that'll decide the rest of the year? Let's dive in. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com backslash locked in NBA and use code all lowercase locked in NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Demerol. Thanks again to Jake Stevens, as always, for his work on production. All right, second part of our two part series looking at. Six things that'll decide the end of the calf season, decide where this team is going in the lead up to the playoffs. Check out yesterday's show if you haven't already. We covered the 2C, Darius Garland, and more. Today, we're starting with Evan Mobley. So, Evan, I'll ask you this. Is the Evan Mobley leap happening right now? I'd say tentatively, yes. Um, at least over this small handful sample of game, I believe it's like eight games he's been back so far. Really good numbers across the board, like consistent stuff from a guy who is on a 25.3 minute prescription per game. I do know that number, but it's like 15, 10, 3, 2, or 1 and 1 or something like that. He, he's all over the all over the place, but like yield eye test is just showing you like, yeah, probably is starting to take that leap. I think just more than anything, um, he is reading, reacting to defenses, but he is being aggressive on offense. He's not kind of waiting for the one of the guards or somebody who has the ball in their hand to get the ball to him. Maybe it's like a look at the basket. It's like a late shot clock opportunity thing. thing. No, he's like calling for the ball on some plays. And the Cavs are running set plays where he is the offensive fulcrum in the system in the set. And he will sometimes flare out to the perimeter because defenses sag off of him. Or maybe he'll attack the basket because they overcommit to somebody else. But like, I think we're starting to see him put it together, especially after, you know, three-ish almost years of us hearing like, yeah, he's taking a lot more threes. Yeah, we want him handling the ball. Yeah, we want him passing. Yeah, we want to run X, Y, and Z through Evan on offense. And I don't think the offense is quite matching his defense still. Like that, that's a very gap or very high level to kind of match there. But we're, if you're watching on the show, putting my hands together, we're starting to see the offense start to level up to at least to a point where he is like a dominant, dynamic two-way player. And I think, yeah, I think the leap is happening. What about you? I agree. I, I there is it is but it isn't I think it is an offensive leap yeah. more than it is a defensive because like the, the defense the part defense of this is, is funny elite. because it's always been elite. Well, but it's also not been it has not been the best Mobley defensive stretch, I think, since he's come back from injury. It, there, it has been just a little less tight. It has been a little less locked in than you would expect. But I, th- I think that makes sense considering the knee injury, the timing. Like he's he had this long layoff, so like of course that's that's gonna happen. I think. But the offensively with the shooting, with the spacing, with how comfortable and aggressive he looks on that end of the floor. That's that is the leap that matters because I think the defense will just naturally come back. Like the defense is just eventually going to lock in and he's going to be fine. But the offensive stuff, where even in these contained minutes, 
even if he's playing somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes a game since he's come back from injury um, and, and sat one back-to-back. He's taking, it feels like he's taking more shots. He's, he didn't take a three in his first game back, but he, he's taken one in every other game but one. He's taken multiple threes in most of these games. Even in like even he had a one of four night in that Toronto game. He came back and took two the next night, made one, and then took one right before the All Star break in Chicago. There there is a offensive willingness from Mobley that I think is what is happening as far as the leap goes, and that even if he's not, you know, he had twenty eight against the Spurs and in, in that and in ten in that game, that was kind of the big game here. A lot of his other games are fourteen and nine and fourteen and ten and seventeen and eleven. They're not monster, monster games, but in limited minutes, the production is great. It passes the eye test, and it feels like the offensive comfort had for, for however he did it. And I, I know like they've given some quotes about it. I don't think we fully know like what he did on his time off that kind of allowed mm-hmm. this. But whatever he did, I think it worked. Well, yeah, according to JB, at least, he just like kept practicing his shooting like nonstop, at least, you know, in the limited opportunities he had just because he was ahead of schedule, at least in terms of his recovery. Um, and him shooting threes is something he's been working with Luke Walton on for quite a while now. And I think seeing it actually manifest and click in real time versus us just seeing it in a practice situation is very exciting. But for me, I am curious, like he was a little raw and unrefined offensively. He was going to have to take a little bit of extra work. That was kind of the consensus on him coming out of Southern California, but it is starting to click. And I wonder like with some players, they talk about how the game like slows down for them. I wonder if the game is slowing down from mobile at a point where he's not overwhelmed, obviously on offense. I never said he thought he was, but it's more so the fact that, is just reading and reacting to the defense. Like you said, like there are some nights he takes threes, there's other nights he doesn't. Maybe he takes one and doesn't make it just because he's trying, you know, it's a heat check or maybe testing the waters of the defense. But he is reading and reacting really well to opposing defenses and finding very effective ways to just opposing teams whenever he's on the floor on offense. And that is just, you know, a lot of just like a snowball effect because defensively he's doing a lot of good stuff. And yeah, maybe the defense is taking a step back because he's expending more energy on offense right now. But there will be a point where, like, I think when the minute restriction especially is lifted and, like, he's in, like, fully cleared health-wise to play again, that we're going to see, like, a different monster out there. And I think that just gets me really excited. And that's kind of like, if you listen to uh, Monday's show, why I really think, like, he does have a legitimate shot to emerge as, like, Cleveland's second-best player entering the playoffs. I think there there's a real case for that. Um and I think too, like the shooting in the playoffs is going to be like when we, whatever, whoever the Cavs play in the first round, like whatever that ends up being, whether it is the Pacers, whether it is the the Heat, whether it's the Magic right now for what it's worth, if it's the 2 7, and let's just say the 17 gets out right away in the playing tournament, it would be Indiana. That would be, that would be the first round match, it would be Cavs Pacers. The shooting is going to be a thing that we have to talk about. The shooting and, and whether that's real and whether it can sustain is going to be a, a part of that. And the rest of the regular season is going to be a further like case study of like, okay, how does this happen? How does this work? What does this look like? He is, I mean, I think Evan, if I, if we, if I entered Garland for who's the second most important player, I think I might, I think I, I think 
I still think I feel good about that. But I do also think if I was going to, who am I most interested in watching over the stretch run of the season from now until April 14th when they when they finish the regular season? I think Mobley is my answer for that question. It's really interesting because I'm the inverse. Like I am, of course, excited to watch Evan Mobley, but like I want to f- see Darius Garland continue to figure it out in this new offensive system or approach the Cavs are taking. And I believe he can, but I need to just kind of watch it happen in real time. So that's an interesting thing, but just from the difference between the two of us. But yeah, like Mobley is really starting to show his potential that he is like, I, I hate the term unicorn, but like he is a one of one type of player where he has that two way impact where like he does have the yield of mold rather, excuse me, of like a Giannis at Anacumpo where he's able to protect the rim and be a dominant force on the interior, but he differentiates and becomes more of like an Evan Mobley where like, yeah, he's bigger, stronger, faster than ever, but he's doing all these different things on offense, whether it's shooting, passing, handling the ball. I think the big to big passing is always just going to be a staple of Cleveland's offensive repertoire, whether it's Allen to Mobley or Mobley to Allen. But um, yeah, I, I think the regular season and the ramping up process, especially when the minute restriction is lifted, is going to be really interesting to see like more of what this picture is of Evan Mobley through year three and like entering year four at some point. But for me, like the crystallization will be like, how does it translate to the playoffs? Like, do we see like Evan Mobley didn't have great numbers against the Knicks in the first round, like it was pretty non-existent out there at times against New York. Um, do we see a different beast to like, that is this engaged and kind of hyper aggressive offensively. And do we see like defenses reading, reacting a little bit more to him or do we see more of the same? And we're like, okay, yeah, he is ready to take the mantle and kind of be continue evolving towards becoming Cleveland's best overall player. All right. After this, we're going to get into a little deeper in the rotation. Dean Wade or George Niang, who should be the, the, the lead guy who should be the eighth guy who should get more minutes come playoff time. That's up after this. Today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest DFS platform in North America. They are the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. If you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like the rapper Meek Mill or the comedian Andrew Schultz, you can now do that. Go to the community plays under the promos tab of the app or and to view entries from some of the biggest names in the prize picks community each week. Go to prizepicks.com backslash locked in NBA and use code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that is prizepicks.com backslash locked in NBA and use code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. That's prize picks and terms and conditions apply. All right, George Niang versus Dean Wade. Evan, I this is a, a funny thing. Um, it doesn't actually like lead into like anything of substance, but I, I was trying to find a photo of them together for the 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 video for the the graphic we put up for on the YouTube version of the show. And the only, the most recent photo of those two together is them playing against each other in college, which Iowa State, that's, Kansas State. That's funny. That is funny enough. Um, and they talk plenty of trash about that rivalry between Iowa State and um, 
Kansas State and kind of gives you the context because like they did play each other like you said in college of like Dean Wade is an older prospect but isn't as old as George Niang as they tease him about but I posed this question in the chat just because in our group text rather um, and to the listeners too if you want to mull it over but right now JB Bickerstaff says ideally um, they are going to go 10 deep in the rotation most nights with like we're seeing Sam Merrill get phased out. We see Craig Porter Jr. Even though he's on a regular contract playing with the charge. And so realistically speaking, you have the score four, as people like to call it, Max Drews, Karis LeVert, Isaac Okoro, uh, George Niang, um, Dean Wade, and then like maybe Sam Merrill for a few minutes. Or if like Tristan Thompson comes back, it's matchup based, but come playoff time like the, the rotations get tighter the starters play more minutes bench guys go into certain matchups and things like that and you have to ask like okay like it's going to probably be isaac okoro and karis levert as the two reserves is it going to be niang or wade and i think both present different things and also have different flaws in their game too like wade is much more solid defensively whereas like niang could get picked apart especially in a slower half court offense but niang is also much less gun shy than wade can be at times and i am just it's an interesting thought process like who would you personally prefer i think dean wade just from the defense and i think you can supplement the offensive scoring through lavert mitchell garland Struce, mobley even allen too and okoro i think is on a heater lately too so i think you'd rather just trade the defense and the fact that you have a guy who can defend three through five and wade versus niang who can be a can be and is a defensive liability on the floor i think saying wade can defend fives is like a little bit of a stretch Oh, he is. Could that, be he plays stretch five, so yeah, a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, but but okay, but thank you. Yeah, they don't they, they don't do it. So it, yes, it's a stretch. Um, I think if you were to say like what is the best version of both guys, the answer is Wade. And Wade, to his credit, even if his minutes have kind of uh, before the All Star break, it was like the last five games or so before he missed two games was between thirteen and sixteen minutes. So. Yang was getting bigger run for the year. They're 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 with they're pretty close to each other, both at 20, 21 and change per game. Wade, to his credit, was letting shots fly. He had not had a game it felt like in a long time, except maybe like this game in Orlando and and whatnot, where he wasn't where he was hesitant. There wasn't like the twenty seven minute game he had against Brooklyn in January, where he played where he took one shot in twenty seven minutes. Like right, like that didn't happen. If you're getting that Wade, who is a better, who is maybe not a purely better shooter, but is close enough, who is a better defender, who I think can give you, like, neither of them I'm super thrilled if they're having to dribble, but Nyang is a little more clumsy. Nyang is a little more like, it's not bumbling, but it's just a little more like, are we sure? Where's this going exactly? I don't exactly know. Um, it's a little dicey, whereas Wade, it's like, it's a little more straight line and like, there's at least like a dunk possibility. Like, so there's something to that for, and for what it's worth, I said, Niang is the better shooter this year. Wade is at nearly 40% from three. Niang is at like 36. So like this year, Wade has been a better shooter. Shooting kind of fell off a cliff a little bit leading to the break and he owned up to it. Like, even though he got into the dust up with uh, Kobe White, he's just like, yeah, I stink right now and I have to 
kind of fun my rhythm and cadence and i think you have to ride those waves no matter what when it comes to guys in their shooting as max Drews Does, educated me early well, in the season but go ahead are you still thinking about that you gotta just i, I no fun. no no I, i'm not it just came back into my head and i'm like yeah i have a player who is very good at shooting the basketball tell me that so i more than more i i hold it as gospel because he is the professional and i am the coverer or yeah i mean he was also just like defending his guys i think but the, the yeah. rest um does the fact that Yang, in a way that I think Wade is not, has a bit of an edge to him? Whereas Dean Wade, like, God bless him, I don't think has, like, that, like, no. fr- he's not the yeah. friskiest guy. Niang is. Niang will mix it up. Niang certainly, like, I think we kind of know what he is in the playoffs, but does does the fact that he is perhaps, like, willing to be physical and mix it up, does that matter at all to you as far as hey, like maybe like this is the guy I go with just because if we're in a really physical series, I, I trust him to show up even if there's some clear limitations and, and, and known limitations. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think like... No, I'm, I'm, ask, like, I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm asking you, does it matter to you? Oh, it does matter to me because sometimes you do need a spark to maybe, excuse me, give you that system shock or just give you something get the team rolling again on the floor um and like george niang's been transparent um he is uh one of the leaders of this team i think he leads through his sense of humor and the fact that he's self-deprecating it like disarms people but also like he is not afraid to get in someone's face even if like kobe white was picking him apart in that game like the, the bulls had a strategy like okay george niang is out there lick your chops put an athletic smaller guard against him and he can't defend it but um, like he ha- Niang just kind of has that I don't give a crap attitude and he's willing to get in your face and push you around and say like yo you know what like enough's enough and like it, it can be a spark like your technical can spark your team no matter what whether it's your coach getting tossed or a teammate but like the the dust up with Kobe White recently like the Bulls were out physically in the Cavs that entire game and then like after that like it was a catalyst and the Cavs were scratching and clawing at that point but you saw the Cavs play much more physically, and Niang was a big conduit of that. And like you said, God bless Dean Wade, but like he's just not kind of like that guy. Where he is very comfortable, just not shutting up, like just constantly talking trash to the opposition and trying to get a rise out of them. Because basketball is a two-fold, two-fold game. Like if you are dominating them physically, that's great. But if you're able to get to them mentally, you know you've won because you've broken that team. Because now they're going to be frustrated. And you can exploit that and just kind of keep rolling with it. I don't know if it matters to me just because I think Max Struess is going to be that. He already kind of is already. Max Struess yeah. is just as ornery. Um, he leads the lead if, in techs, I think. King. My my salty my salty New England, my salty Midwest Chicago King who uh, just doesn't put up with nonsense. Um, I don't think it matters to me superly because like I think ultimately what Dean Wade does will matter more. But... but mm-hmm. I will put the caveat of that. If he, Jamie Bickerstaff, if it comes to it, has to make a, it sees Dean Wade being hesitant to shoot and the Cavs need him to shoot and he doesn't, then he has a choice to make. Does he, what can he do to either light a fire under Dean Wade or does he just go to Niang and lean in that direction? Even if there's, there's, I think some certain risks with with Niang as as a playoff guy and we kind of understand what those are so is wrong Which Max is bad, is bad, bad defender second under. second in the league in technical foul still in Brooks is Draymond is, first oh. still in Brooks of course he's running away with it and then Max yeah. is 
one ahead of Bobby Portis, who. But I, I agree with your take, though. If like Dean Wade is being hesitant or is not giving the three point shooting, I think with a Titan rotation and you have prime defenders and Isaac Coro, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley, you can mix and match lineups to maybe some of the weaknesses and maybe like encourage like funnel opposition in towards the paint and you have to like greet them with Evan Mobley or Jared Allen or if you want to get real frisky with it both of them and have uh, George Niang technically be your three in that situation but um yeah I, I think that is the right approach in terms of a coaching standpoint but it, it just from a pure like on paper thing like I think it's Dean Wade being your eighth man when the rotations get tighter, when the minutes restrictions are lifted and like the Cavs kind of figure out like what they do or don't have. But we, we shall see too. Like the coaches also don't really reveal what they're fully cooking up for the playoffs till come playoff time. And the Cavs are squeezing a lot of juice out of this team right now. But I, I do wonder what that next phase is. And maybe that is when we get a clearer understanding of like, what does this rotation consistently look like over like a 10, 15 game stretch, one through eight, like in terms of just minute leaders and maybe closing lineups and things like that. All right, after this, our last question in this series. Isaac Okoro, can you trust him to matter in the playoffs? And is it going to get him paid? I'll explain why there's two potential matchups. It's in, actually three, if you consider one of the possible first-round matchups, where Okoro is going to be highly, highly necessary. We'll open the segment up segment three with that. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. Maybe you find the organized part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you want to actually eat breakfast too. Therapy helps you find your strength so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockdownNBA today to get 10% off the first month. That's better. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash LockdownNBA. So Isaac Okoro, to me, Evan, is going to be necessary in the playoffs if you just think practically about who the Cavs could be playing in, in the playoffs. If you look at the, the, likely, the likely options for round one, Indiana is one of the contenders for that. They are the, the, the odds-on favorite for this, to be the seventh seed. And if let's say they get there. Who do you want defending Tyrese Halliburton? I think you would, want, you would need Isaac Okoro to play real minutes doing that. You get to the second round. Whether it is, let's just say they, they win round one and they're the two seed. Whether the Bucks are the three seed or the Knicks are the three seed and you get one of them in round two, the Knicks have Jalen Brunson, the Milwaukee Bucks have Damon Lillard. Who is the person on the Cavs you trust most to defend those guys? Isaac Okoro. And I don't think that means he's going to start in the playoffs, but Evan, on top of where I think his shooting is at, which we'll get into, I think his defense just is going to make him a pretty necessary guy. Yeah, and in terms of starting versus not starting, I think that's a moot point. I think that's just something like if the Cavs, if like, let's say the Cavs subbed out Isaac Okoro over Max Drews in a playoff matchup, if that comes up and like disrupts the locker room, like there's a lot more problems than you realize. So I don't think that's going to be that big of an issue. But 
jumping ahead um yeah it's, it's isaac Coro. he's your best point of attack defender he's your best perimeter defender i know gb bickerstaff told me like he should be in all defensive team and defensive player of the year conversations but he is playing really well and i think like if you are hesitant on if this is sustainable or realistic just based on how he looked last playoffs or maybe like the end of last season um don't forget that after he hit that game winner against brooklyn he more or less missed a month um with a high ankle sprain and like that just killed any of the momentum he had in his corner or in his favor heading into um the postseason and it just threw out the entire offensive flow for cleveland because teams could sag off of him but if he has confidence in his shot and he has shown he's confident in it like i remember against the bulls like he had a pull-up three-pointer that you're like no 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 what are you doing man and he like still did it and um like you want him taking shots like that but like yeah a pure defensive upside like gives you what you need in terms of the juice and um you continue rolling with it and you just hope like the offensive history continues so like he so that he can be a two-way player for you shooting wise 40 percent from three this year above league average forwards that's a really big the volume is still like a little below average for his position, but you, I think the percentage-wise, and it looks more free than I think we've ever seen him. And to your point about the playoffs last year, I'm not going to tell anyone they need to go back and watch Cavs Knicks because I don't th- like that. It just seems like a really across the board. No, like even if like you wanted to learn something, that wasn't the most like vi- compelling series of like entertaining basketball we've ever seen. I don't. I understand like that he didn't have like a great series. Like he was, he took a lot of threes. He didn't shoot it particularly well. It was like thirty one percent in in those games. Only played fifteen minutes a game. I think in terms of like physicality and like how he actually felt and and I don't think he looked like shell shocked in the way some other guys did. The lights didn't feel too bright for Okor, even if he didn't perform super well. And then I think you see how he's played this year. I just think that guy's going to be good for you. Like, I think that guy is a rock-solid two-way wing now. I think he's legit. And that leads us, to Evan, do I think the question of does, does he get paid? And I understand, like, the playoffs will have some impact on that. So I, I, don't, I, don't, think I, wanna, I don't think we can just couch it on, on that and say, like, oh, it's based on how he does in the playoffs because then, then what, are we, what are we doing here? But I think this guy is going to be at least worth like 12 to like $14 million. I'm kind of curious to see where this ends up. RFA won't help him. But to me, it does feel like we're headed towards Isaac Okoro is deserving of some money here. Yeah. And um, I believe it was Michael Scotto who said like he could be expecting a market of like $14 million a year in restricted free agency. The Cavs can match that. They Chris and I are firmly the stance we bang our fist on the table. I'm not going to do it for Jake's sake of scrubbing the audio, but um, the Cavs need to go into the tax next year. Isaac Okoro's guys like that may not be able to give you, or maybe you can find others like that in terms of just like what he gives you offensively, but like defensively, he has a full understanding of how J.B. Bickerstaff wants to utilize him and like how J.B. Bickerstaff wants to play defense. And that can't be underrated or understated. And yeah, just pay the man. Like if it's $14 million a year, let's just say it's like a three-year, $42 million contract with, like, the final year being, like, a player. Or, like, then there's a fourth year that is either a player option or a team option just to give you that flexibility going forward, too. So, like, it's a four-year, $56 million contract. You pay that. 
And that's the price you have to pay when you draft guys in the top 10. When you're not a great team, develop them and they pan out in the way you want them to. So, yeah, I mean, like, shoot, like money, it's funny money at some point. Like The, the cap's going to go up. And I think if he, but also if he does have like a very strong playoff outing and like he is a guy who can, and I believe he can, like just from his defense alone, could swing a playoff series in Cleveland's favor. Like, let's say they play or a, New ga- York a game, it, a game, a game, at least. Let's talk about or the like if it's like the Damian Lillard situation or Jalen Brunson, like he could be a guy who helps the Cavs win a game or two in a series because like he shuts the water off the opposing team's best perimeter player. Like he has consistently done that all season long. We will see how they perform against the Knicks um, when they play them in March. I think that's going to be a really good litmus test of just like a very much more confident and comfortable Okoro compared to where he was at last year or at pretty much any time in his time with Cleveland. And, um, yeah, like he could be like one of those key players. And like we talked about rotation guys, like he is firmly your seventh man, but he is likely closing games for you more often than not come playoff time, just because of that defensive upside he gives you one there. I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Daryl back at you. Evan will be back with Jackson Flickinger to talk all-star weekend and sights and sounds from Indianapolis through a Cavs lens. And then we'll have recaps of both Cavs magic and Cavs 76ers for you Friday morning and Saturday morning this week. Until then, I'm Chris. That's Evan. Be well, everyone. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again to Jake Stevens, as always.